Hi, my name is Tracy G and I'm an inner work coach, NLP trainer and podcaster extraordinaire. Passionate about equality and a world that is more diverse and inclusive, giving each and every one of us the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. As a biracial woman, I've experienced my fair share of discrimination in the past and come out on top. We all know that discrimination and bias still exists in the world today, and it's not always easy to know what to do about it. This podcast, All One Inclusive, is about celebrating all diversity and being proud of all that you are. I chat with inspiring guests and my friends as we share stories from news sources and listeners from all over the world who have experienced some form of discrimination firsthand. The aim is for us to be able to discuss this issue more openly so it becomes better understood by all and provide tips about what you can do to make a difference. The world may have a lot of catching up to do, but if we can imagine a more equal world, we can create change step by step, ripple by ripple. Hello, happy hump day. You are allowed to laugh, Bavna. Okay, okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's all good. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm really awesome. It's been like an interesting few weeks with the the big story. Actually, I was like, today we have our royal correspondent, Bavna Ben. Oh, I'd love that job. That would be such a dream job for me, royal correspondent. Oh, my gosh. Um, yes, please. I'll take yeah. that role. Yeah. 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 So what have you been doing? How was your your first volunteering? Uh, I've started volunteering at my local library. And yeah, that's been interesting. So um, there's a lot of inductions because obviously, you know, there's lots of different uh, policies and um, lots of processes to run through. Um, But no, it's great to kind of get out and um, also meet people, the community, and just be able to partake and um, just kind of give something back. So yeah, that's great. And what about your book club? Our book club has uh, well, that's only one attendance. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, with book club, they rotate the book that they're discussing every two weeks. Mm. And um, the books that they've got on the list for the next couple of weeks, uh, they're not really of massive interest to me. There's one coming up in August, which I am preparing for. So that'll be the next one. Okay. And mm. how? I'm just curious, how long did he get to read a book? You get about three months. Oh. Yeah, so they advertise it ahead of time. Like, for example, the book club in August, they advertise that starting from last month. And so I've got plenty of time if I want to join that book club in August to actually read the book. Mm. And it's actually um, a book that I wouldn't normally pick up. And because of the last book club that I attended, because there was a bit of hype around it, I thought, okay, yeah, let's, um, I'd like to get involved in the discussion. And the only way I'm going to be able to partake is if I read the book, um, ideally. So, um, so that's what prompted me to, um, to, yeah, pick up this new book, which I wouldn't normally read. So, mm. yeah, I mean, you can attend with a lot of book clubs. You can attend without reading the book, mm. but it is limiting because obviously you're not going to be able to partake in a lot of the discussion. Mm. So, um, because a lot of, I mean, there were two members of the book club that I attended um, last time where two members, they didn't read the book. And they wanted to join because not only did they want to feel part of a group, but they also wanted to see whether or not the book would be of interest to them to read. 
Oh, that's a good idea, actually. If you're thinking about reading a book, go to a book club that's just read it. Yeah, that's right. The only thing with that it would be, and it's a bit of a disclaimer here, is that you're obviously going to get the spoilers. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, that's true. Yeah. 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 So, going to get spoilers. Um, so, so what's yeah. the book you're going to read? Uh, so the book uh, that I've been um, recommended, or that was for high discussion, is a book called Cult Classic. I can't remember what the author's name is, but I believe it's based, um, I can't remember which area it's based in. Again, I haven't started reading it yet. But it's about a woman who keeps bumping into her exes. And the story revolves around that, also comes through from there. So, uh, but the person who was recommending it, she said that she reads, in fact, she's actually um, uh, one of the book club members, um, whereby she's aiming to read 100 books in this year. What? Yeah, and so she obviously loves books. And when she picked up this book called Classic, she actually ended up buying 10 copies and giving them away to all of her friends because it was that. That good. So when somebody uh, I've met whose target is to read 100 books in a year and she's just read this book called Cult Classic and she's giving it away to her friends, that made me, that was enough for me to say, okay, I'm getting involved. I want to see what this book is about. All right, cool. Well, let me know. Although my book list is so getting, is so long. I can't imagine, like, what is that? Is that 365 days in a year? She wants to read 100 books a year. Does that mean she's got to read a book in three days? Yes. So, uh, and I was sitting there doing exactly the same calculation <laughs> um, in the intros in my book club. That was what was going on in my head. And, but then it didn't surprise me so much because the book, um, the book club I attended was, the book that I read was called Age of Vice. And the Age of Vice is about 550 pages long. And the lady who took the book club on that I attended, she actually read it in three days. Now it took do me. These people have jobs. Uh, yes, <laughs> they do. This is the thing. So uh, I actually, I mean, for me, I was only halfway through the age of vice when I bought the ticket, and I bought the ticket because I ended up having two weeks left to finish the book. Mm. I managed to finish the book the day before the book club, so I read two hundred and fifty pages in two weeks. And so it, I was just trying to imagine reading a book, a 550-page book, in three days. Um, luckily, the new book called Classic, where I'm attending, it's not 550 pages. It's a mere 250 pages. So, yeah, that should be a walk in the park. Yeah, guys. Mm. That's mental. No, I couldn't possibly. I don't know how I'd find the time for that. That's insane. Yeah. Which is why, but normally a book, a book club would should ideally give you about three months notice to give a book or to read a book, which they do. That's a bit more. Yeah, light. that's right. But then again, you know, we don't we don't often come across people whose target is reading a hundred books in a year. Mm, that's true. So. I think what I did, I was on a coaching course for three days the other week, and that was amazing. So, you know, I was able to advance, acquire some advanced coaching skills whilst they are applied to myself and my own life. So that was pretty transformative and eye-opening for me. Oh, wow. Okay. What was the biggest takeaway from the course for you? The biggest takeaway is that everyone, oh, actually, this is the biggest takeaway. That's another thing that's popped in my head. Everyone feels like their problems are special, but they're not. And when I say they're not, I mean, in the sense that other people, you know, other people have problems, similar, different, everybody's got problems. 
and or had them in their lives. And fundamentally, if you break that problem down, you know, it's not unique. There's not unique. And so it's kind of is very humbling mm. to really believe that. There's one thing to say it, but to believe it. And, and the more clients I see, the more I believe it. Because even if the problem's different, the feelings are the same. You know, people feel rejected. People feel lonely. People feel unworthy. People feel unlovable. So even the problems might be different, but the feel, you know, the feelings are the same. And so that's and so that's what I mean when I say nobody's special. You know, our problems don't make us special. It's how we overcome our problems that make us special. So that was my biggest takeaway. It's how we overcome them because we're all here on a journey to grow and that's how we grow. That's great. That's, that's great. Yeah. Anyway. And you're obviously applying those skills uh, you know, to your coaching practice, which is fantastic. Yes. And my life. I'm a work in progress. I'm not perfect. I'm not enlightened. I think, well, are we all a work in progress? Yes, we are. We all are. Exactly. Oh, that's funny. Oh, somebody was saying that Dalai Lama, he is what you would imagine is as close to enlightened as you can imagine. If you understand the idea of enlightenment, basically this idea that you're a perfect human being with no problems and, you know, close to spirit, close to a God or whatever you believe. Even the Dalai Lama, who supposedly is the human being closest to enlightenment living, would say if somebody says so are you enlightened and he and sometimes he replies not today <laughs> really like that <laughs> yeah, yeah it kind of, kind of reminds me of that saying uh, that we're all spiritual beings having a human experience yeah exactly yeah okay so <laughs> as I was away on this coaching weekend mm-hmm. it was unfortunate that I missed the coronation you missed one of the biggest events in history, Tracy. I know. I caught parts of it towards the end because I, when I got home, it was like pretty much towards the end. So I did see a little bit, but I missed quite a big. And of course, we have, we are so blessed to have our royal correspondent, Bavna, here with us today. <laughs> I'll take it. Yes, as a self proclaimed uh, royalist. Yes, I do read a lot about the royal family. I know a lot about the royal family. So, um, yeah, it was great to see this event happening. It was seven, obviously, but Queen Elizabeth II, she spent 70 years um, on the throne. And so uh, for a lot of us, this is the first time we've ever seen a coronation. Mm, well, and, yeah. um, and it was quite, um, and for the purposes of this podcast too, it was quite uncanny, really, because the retirement age that we see is 65 years. And here we have an individual, a man of or in his 70s, stepping into a job for the first time. A demanding job. Exactly. Exactly. So I thought that in itself was so interesting. Yeah, I hadn't even considered that. Most people retired by then and he's stepping into a new job. That's right. There we go. There we go. Yeah. So, so, you know, whenever this topic comes up about, you know, um, ageism uh, in the workplace, mm. let's take a look at uh, King Charles, shall we? So, yeah, but we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to be sharing or I'm going to be sharing the article 
from The Independent. And um, the headline is How Diverse Coronation Reflected King's Bid to Modernize Monarchy. The article says uh, the coronation was the most diverse in 1000 year history of the ceremony with a guest list that embodied the king's determination to modernize the monarchy and reflect a multicultural. The monarch is the supreme governor of the Church of England and has the title Defender of the Faith but he has long made known his wish to be a defender of all religions. And for the first time, representatives from the nation's faith communities played an active role in a coronation in Britain. Muslims, Sikhs and Hindus joined senior figures from the Jewish faith for the presentation of the coronation regali. Lord Indajit Singh of Wimbledon, editor of the Sikh Messenger, presented the king with the coronation glove, a white glove worn on the right hand of a monarch. Baroness Gillian Merrin, chief executive of the Board of Deputies of British Jews, carried one of the royal robes. The guest list left out, hun- left out hundreds of British lords and MPs in an active attempt to include people of diverse origins and ordinary Britons. It was a striking contrast with the 1953 Queen's coronation, which upheld the ancient traditions of ceremony. Historian David Olu Soga told BBC News, I think what you saw today was a strong representation and a huge effort to show the diversity of faith within Britain. One of the things that's, that's very different between the Britain of today and Britain of 1953. Defence force personnel and police officers from British overseas territories in the Caribbean, including the Royal Ang- Angolia Police Force, and the Royal Montserrat Defence Force joined the procession from Westminster Abbey to Buckingham Palace. Britain's most decorated nurse, Dame Elizabeth and and Baroness Valerie Amos, the first black woman cabinet minister, played prominent roles in the ceremony in the Abbey. Liberal Democrat peer and former children's television presenter, Baroness Floella Benjamin, who carried part of the King's regalia, praised the King for sending a clear message on embracing diversity. Right. Wow. See, so, it's interesting. Something else, something else that's worth mentioning, because I talked, we talked about it in our coaching thing the next day, about relating to this ceremony and diversity, is there is part of the ceremony where he's presented with the sword. That's yeah. Correct. Yeah, he's actually presented with four swords in total. Okay. And apparently, and I say apparently because I don't know. That's always been presented by a man. And this time it was presented by a woman. Yes. And that is a massive, massive thing. Yes. And how uh, some philosophies would consider it is talking about the harmony of the masculine and the feminine. Because the world has become very, very masculine. And you see an imbalance. And the fact that they've t- taken that away, because... For thousands and thousands of years, you know, lots of religions held women up to be equals. You know, you have priestesses and queens, um, but they kind of got rewritten and almost demoted in religion and in society, of course, you know. And, but previously to that, this would be a tradition for a woman to present to a king the sword. So that was something else that I didn't know. That was pointed out to me. Yeah, there were three major things that I saw when I watched the ceremony live, obviously. And the three main things that did strike me in terms of the diversity and inclusion sector was exactly that. 
uh, it was a female who was presenting the main swords. And then the second was that we saw individuals of different faiths coming up and also presenting the items as part of the regalia. Mm-hmm. And they were presented by the Hindu, the Sikh and the Jewish community. And then the third thing that I saw in the coronation, which I don't think we'll ever see again, is uh, the part in the ceremony where, well, not necessarily the ceremony, but part of the service where it's a Christian service. And we had the prime minister reading a portion from the Bible. And it's a Hindu prime minister who was reading from the Bible. And um, so those were three elements, uh, which really made me kind of stand back and think, wow, uh, this is reflecting the diversity there in Britain. Mm. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I didn't see any of that. So I would have been like, this is pretty cool. This looks like Britain to me. This is what we have. It really is made up of all these different faiths and ethnicities. But I didn't see that. I came in watching the part where there was a lot of the, all the different voices stood, I don't know, it was thousands maybe, I can't remember the numbers they said, of the different, yeah. you know, armed forces. Yeah. It's basically all the king's horses and all the king's Oh, men. yeah, all the king's horses and all the king's men, yeah, exactly. I didn't see many people of colour in that huge array, which I thought was interesting because you do have people of colour in armed forces, so, you know, have... I mean, that is a thing. So that was, I just noticed these things. I noticed the contrast. And then obviously when all the family came out onto the balcony. So an iconic part of the whole. Uh, an ceremony. iconic. Pomp ceremony, because that's what the whole family is known yeah. for. Iconic part of the ceremony. I did think, oh, I know it's, it sounds silly, but it sounds silly when I say it out loud. But I did think, oh, the, it's very white. And I know, of course, well, the royal family, that's their ethnicity, their why, of course. But I didn't know if every single one was a family member. But that's me. I'm not a royalist. I wasn't sure, you know, like almost like a wedding where you have flower girls and page boys. And so you have friends of family, friends and extended people part of the wedding party. So I... And this could be a complete assumption. I assume that as part of the ceremony of the coronation, they would have that, which they kind of did in the... They did in the ceremony, yes, but you're absolutely absolutely spot on, Tracy. It's like when it came to the balcony, then the selection on the balcony, and there is actually, and this is where all knowledge comes in, there's a maximum number that are allowed on the balcony, in whether it be a wedding or whether it be a coronation uh, or any kind of celebration. I think the maximum number, I believe, is 15 um, it may be able to stretch out to 18, but it's a maximum of 15. And mm. so that's a selection criteria. And uh, in the coronation, the balcony scene, it wasn't just family. Um, it was participants of the actual uh, ceremony. Um, sorry, the participants of, of the ceremony, but they were. it, was, it wasn't quite a balcony. However, what the media also said, um, it was the balcony scene was an attempt from the royal family to show who they are moving forward. And they labelled it as, this is what the modern royal family will look like. And it's interesting that it was all white. Mm. So or, that was what, for me, I just stood out to me, but I haven't seen all the diversity in the earlier parts of the ceremony. So for me, that was like, oh, because I assumed they weren't all family. Of course, they're all families white. Mm. But uh, I assume that, you know, with supporters of that ceremony and coronation, there might be more diversity. And don't forget, I haven't seen any yet because I haven't yeah. watched it. So I was a bit like, oh, okay. But it was interesting because somebody else commented on it. Some a prominent actress. 
commented on it and she got so much stick. Yes, I've got the article here. It's from Sky News and it's a Bridgerton um, actress, Adjoa. And the headline from Sky News actually reads, Bridgerton star Adjoa Andu's terribly white remark about King Charles family's Buckingham Palace balcony appearance receives more than 4,000 complaints. The article goes on to say, a Netflix star's commentary about King Charles's family during the coronation has caused anger across the United Kingdom with a staggering number of complaints received. A British broadcaster has been hit with thousands of complaints over a Netflix actor's comments about King Charles's family being terribly white. Adjoa Andoa 60 from hugely popular series Bridgerton had been commentating for ITV's live coverage during the monarch's historic coronation on Saturday. During the, the Buckingham Palace balcony appearance by the new king and his wife, Queen Camilla, the actor made controversial remarks about the royal family. They quoted, we have gone from the rich diversity of the Abbey to a terribly white balcony. I am very struck by that, Andoa said on ITV. She goes on to say, I'm also looking at those younger generations and thinking, what are the nuances that they will inhabit when they grow? Ofcom British government approved a communications regulator revealed it had received over 4,000 complaints from viewers. It is the most complained TV moment in the United Kingdom this year. Right. And see, what's interesting is you got to be careful. I, I can kind of think, oh, I probably would not have said that out loud. I don't, totally thought the same thing, but I wouldn't say it on the news, you know? Well, she I was quite, as a commentator, and saying it out loud, I mean, it's very, very brave of her to be saying it because I, obviously I don't think she's thought about it. it. We do think a lot of things, but we don't always say them out loud. And you know, from her perspective, you know, she's describing what she saw and what a lot of people were seeing. I myself saw lots of diversity in the ceremony. It was clear to see. And when we then um, pan over to the balcony scene, there's no color at all. And yes, you could say that there is, you know, that's the royal family. There isn't any color in the royal family. However, it wasn't all family. Like you mentioned, Tracy, there were, for example, Rishi Sunak, who was a UK prime minister, you know, he's a person of color. And so, you know, he was part of the problem. He was part of that whole day. Maybe he could have been on the balcony. I don't know. But the idea is that they wanted to present what the modern royal family looked like. And this is what we have today. Uh, we do have a royal family today, which doesn't have colour. Um, but I think we also have to bear in mind that it was only recently that we had the arrival of Meghan, you know, who married Harry, into the royal family. Meghan marrying Harry was the first person of colour to be introduced into the royal family. And with them now not being working royals, we've gone back, you know, a few steps. They wouldn't be on there. I wouldn't expect to see them on there because they're not working roles. But then no, that's my question. Was it really just family on the balcony? Was it supposed to be just family? I don't know. Ideally, it is normally just family on the balcony. It always has been. Mm. But this year, they again, they broke tradition and they had members of not the extended family, but they had Camilla's sister, but also Camilla's friend. Okay, yeah. Part of oh, her, her lady. Got it. Yeah. So they didn't just have family then. Mm. Anyway. I wouldn't be surprised if they can her from Bridgerton episodes. It'd be a shame. It would, it be, would a shame. be a shame, but I wouldn't be surprised if the backlash ended, you know, kind of was a blimp in a career. Uh, I don't think it should be. 
Yeah, um, I mean, hopefully she, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be what she's been known for. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, she's known for playing a character in, in the Bridgeton series, which is now on series three, and she does it very well. So let's hope that this isn't going to tarnish her mm. career. No, I, I was thinking, where have I seen her before? Because obviously I'm, I know her from Bridgerton now. That's made her quite famous. Because I have seen her as an actress on TV before. And I was like, where have I seen her? Casualty. Oh, okay. Right. Okay, well, we don't get casualty over here. In, uh, this is easy. But obviously, and I think it's, it's stopped running, hasn't it? It stopped running ages ago. But it was a, one of the longest um, series, Saturday Night, Casualty. Yeah. One. So, oh, okay, right. I didn't know that. I did not know yeah. that. Right. Yeah, she's in there. But you were surprised on seeing Floella Benjamin in the ceremony. So, um, Floella Benjamin is a TV presenter, children's TV presenter in the UK. And she was a children's TV presenter in my day. She was on Play mine. Yeah, but she was on Play School. She was, and I think she was one, she was the first black woman uh, children's TV presenter. And obviously, she retired years ago. And it was such a surprise watching the ceremony and then having, normally you'd see three members of the clergy coming through carrying the regalia that is to be presented to the new royal. And um, here we saw Floella Benjamin carrying one of the main pieces of the coronation regalia. And that was great. And I, I was reminded that she was actually um, uh, she was actually anointed as a baroness a number of years ago. And she does so much work on behalf of the Prince's Trust and also uh, uh, for her charities. And uh, so that's the reason why she was obviously given that role in the ceremony. But it was great to see. Well, that's good. I'm really, I'm kind of impressed. I know some people might, some cynics might say, oh, tokenistic and that kind of thing but I just think well what's the alternative I'm just really impressed that Prince Charles has taken those steps and made that effort to really represent Britain in his coronation um despite the whole balcony thing I mean really you know the family's white so there's limited options there especially mm -hmm. especially since Harry and Meghan decided not to be part of working royals uh, options now which is a shame because even this is even when the whole harry and Meghan debacle all broke out um, and i think harry was very vocal um, in his documentary and he said that it was a shame that it's worked out this way because having somebody like Meghan who is of color can be a representative of the commonwealth so you know it, it definitely highlights that which is a shame so mm. but it was a great coronation i thought the ceremony mm. it went without a hitch which is great um, it went without much oh there was a little hitch but it wasn't a major surprise the weather and they couldn't oh. do all the, the flyovers or whatever they were planning to <laughs> yes yeah, so well that's britain isn't it that's england and yeah but no, it definitely went well so and it was great to see and the fact that it's uh i mean with charles he's been labeled a very uh, uh forward-thinking king and one would hope so, you know, having, you know, he's had 70 years preparation for this role. Mm. And so, uh, and it was shown in the ceremony, the fact that uh, he wants to be uh, known as the defender of the faith. The fact that he had inclusion of all the major faiths in the UK. And uh, yeah, and so, um, you know, it's going to be exciting to see what mm. this modern royal family, so what kind of impact it has in the coming years. Yeah. And I mean, it's all that tippy-toeing around the whole 
you know, language, because there was something else in the press when I was looking for stories. There was something else that caught my eye. It was a, a photograph of Camilla and there were things, objects in the background that were offensive to some because representing colonization. You know, there were artifacts, I guess maybe artifacts taken, I you see. know, when the British Empire were colonizing countries. And those were proudly, proudly sitting in the background of these photos. Right. So apparently that was really controversial. That was some, another story I won't talk about now. But I, I just think, you know, it's the thing where you've got to take the current efforts with, you know, you've got to take, they've got to mean something. The current efforts and the intention to move forward because, yeah, yes, what the British did horrendous things, you know, with the colonies and horrendous, horrendous things. So did the Dutch, so did the Spanish, so did the, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to, as an understanding about the royal family, it's an institution that goes back centuries. So, you know, and throughout history, we have been seeing change. Um, we've basically seen over the last years, for example, when uh, uh, we basically saw the, uh, the line of succession being changed, whereas it doesn't necessarily, you know, in terms of being a girl or being born a prince or being born a princess, the lines of succession then, then changed. And then also recently we've seen how um, with Charles being a divorcee and how Camilla is able to be queen, that was also changed. And so there's a lot of things changing that we're seeing, very slow changes with the royal family. And that's because, you know, it's not a new institution. It's been going on for years. And what we have been seeing is over time is that, you know, they're moving with the times. And I think we're seeing now Charles, you know, changing the title to Defender of Faith. That's massive. Mm. Having an inclusion of different faiths in a ceremony, which has always to this to this day been a christian ceremony mm. led by um, members of the clergy and archbishops mm. and now it's you know we're seeing me- members of the public who have got who have had no royal title being involved in the main part of the ceremony that's a massive change what's the change it's had? yeah but, you know we're seeing for the first time of a member of a hindu religion you know quoting and um, reading from mm. the bible Mm. So that's massive change in the royal family that we're seeing. And yes, we had Meghan who also joined the royal family. And, you know, that hasn't turned out the way that a lot of people had had hoped. But it was still change. Mm. So it's going to be exciting times to now see how that pans out, how this lands with Charles now being head of state and defender of the faith. Right. Well, call me not cynical, but reality. We're going to have another monarch. In our lifetime, assuming we live to work, you know, grey and old. What are you saying, there, um, Tracy? What are you saying, there, Tracy? <laughs> I mean, we're going to see another monarch, so it'll be really interesting to see how we might get to see two coronations in our lifetime. Oh, okay. Now that is being cynical. <laughs> well, oh, well, how old do you think he's going to live till? Oh, that's the question, isn't it? I mean, he's in his seventies. What twenty years? I'm not placing any bets. <laughs> all I can say is that. I do hope that I'm still here to see a King William. Okay, interesting. Well, we'll see. We'll see, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah, but the thing is, going back to King Charles, 
I mean, King Charles is one of the first members, not of a royal family, but it was back 50 years ago when King Charles was, when he was Prince Charles, he was talking about climate change and he was talking, you know, he was talking about the environment back then. Mm. And he started his work in the environment back then. Mm. He was one of the first people to talk about climate change. Oh, yeah. he's very, And I don't think we give him enough credit for that. And I think he's quite forward thinking, actually. Very, very smart. And that's what will be interesting to see how this pans out. Yeah, it will. Mm. Yeah. So go on, next story. So which other story have we got? In contrast, um, over in the USA, there's another story that, that we found about a lady who has sacrificed and given up all, well, not given up, but um, put all of her life savings into what started out was a bit of a passion project, but she basically um, bought a bar, a sports, and she turned it into a sports bar um, because she's very passionate about women's sports. And so she bought this sports bar and started running the sports bar um, where it only plays women's sports. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so the head, um, so the news article, it's from an article from, from, uh, from a publication called Upworthy in the United States. And the headline is, the sports bra bar that shows only women's sports is inspiring girls in the community. This is why, another reason why this is a great article, because the bar is actually called the sports bra. I like it. I thought it was fantastic. So it says here, women's sports receive far less television coverage and attention than men's. However, one venue is attempting to change that. A woman-owned sports bar called The Sports Bra in Portland, Oregon, caters specifically to women and their sports. Rather than broadcasting the most popular sport, they only promote women athletes and their sports. The bar is dedicated to championing athletes identifying as women. The sports bra has been open since April 2022 after owner Jenny Nguyen birthed the idea of a sports bar and restaurant for women and girls. In an interview with Mice, Nguyen, who's also an LGBTQIA plus advocate, shared, at first, I thought that the bra would just be a place to celebrate women and girls in sports. But now I see that it's highlighted and uplifted girls and women in so many different ways that are just amazing and beautiful to be a part of. The sports bra's mission is to make great food, delicious drinks, and provide a space that supports, empowers, and promotes girls and women in sports and in the community. If you ever find yourself in Portland, make a point of stopping by the sports bra. Even the menu is sports themed. In addition to cocktails, the bar serves meals such as burgers and salads and hosts a number of community events. Oh, I love it. So Portland, what, Ohio? Portland, Oregon. Oh, Oregon. I don't know the states in America. Portland, Oregon. Sports bra. Yeah. I love that. I love that story. They should do that here. There should be a sports bar here, as in Sydney. And it should be one in London. I think it would take off here in Australia, especially places like Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, because mm-hmm. over here, the culture is so sports driven. Uh, it's all about the, you know, which team do you support? AFL, there's, you know, we've New South Wales versus Queensland. It's so predominantly sports orientated, the culture here in Australia, that's mm. like sports bra would be a massive hit 
Mm, definitely. I think that's a great idea. There's plenty of women that love sport. And there'd be lots of venues available. And I mean, I'm assuming men can go in there as well and watch the sport. Yes. yes. So that's oh, awesome. I love that story. Share that. Yeah. Mm, love it. Love it. I think I'll find it and share it on my socials. I love that story. Mm. All right. I think it's time for a time of the podcast. Yeah. What would you do? What would you do? What so what's your scenario, Tracy? Hit me with it. All right, Bavna. What would you do in a meeting? Is that your best London accent? That's my best London governor accent, yeah. In a meeting about hiring for a senior role that requires travel. Some questions whether a woman would want to be away from her family that much. What would you do? Well, that would, for me, I find that really awkward because that's one of the most blatant ways to discriminate someone in a boardroom is to assume that a woman needs to be with her family and so therefore travel would be an issue. I mean, that's one of the most, that's one of the most blatant ways to discriminate, isn't it? I'd I'd find it quite embarrassing for the person who's saying this. And if I was in the boardroom, I would feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, If I was the person who this was being said to, I'd probably say, well, what would you mean by that? why is that an issue I'd probably just call it out and and I think that's probably what I'd do if I was the person who this was being aimed at or if I was the person in the boardroom I'd probably be compelled to call it out so what if it was your colleague that said it if it was my colleague again I'd call it out but again it's it's the way that you phrase it it's the way that you frame it and it's the tone that you take so um, what would you say uh, I'd probably say something like why would uh, that be an issue can you take me through that why do you see why would you say that why would that be an issue I'd open up a conversation I'd open it out and say well and and out, coming from a place of curiosity as in why would this be an issue I'd or maybe say why would this be an issue specifically Mm. So I'd open up the conversation. Okay. In front of the person that's saying it. Yeah, oh, no, actually, the person's not there. So this is like in a meeting about hiring for a senior role that requires travel. So they're talking about the candidate. The candidate's not right. there. And again, I'd approach it in that way. I'd say, um, if a candidate isn't there, I'd say, why would this be, an, why would this be a criteria specifically? Mm. And then they say, because she's got kids, she's got young kids. I'd probably laugh at that. Um, but I'd, I'd probably have to stop myself from laughing at that. But I would probably laugh at that and um, because it would be so ridiculous. And But another way to approach it is that I might take this the resume, I might pull up a resume of the male applicant and apply the same questioning. Well, let's apply this to Mr. Applicant's name. You know, would you say that to a man with kids? Probably not. So I would, but, I, but that's how I'd frame it. I'd basically put it to the same thing. So, you know, mm. and again, but it would actually, but it would be forced, if I took that approach, it would be forcing that conversation to be had. So I'd skip all of that approach and just get, get to the point. And I'd say, you know, why would that be specifically? Why is that a criteria specifically? So mm. there's different ways to approach this. You mm. can take the approach of pulling up the male applicant and applying the same question and then having that conversation opened up through that for through that way or you could basically frame it um, by simply 
calling it out and saying, why would this be a selection criteria specifically for this applicant? Yeah. And I mean, you've got to be as well, it's all context dependent, right? Like who said it? Is it your manager? Is it someone that really senior? Is it, you know, it really depends how, who, whoever says it depends how you handle it, right? If it was somebody really, really senior, I'd be doing the curious question. Well, it, I'll be acting dumb. I'll be doing a curious question. Like, I don't understand what, how, how is that a problem? Mm. That kind of thing. I might do that anyway. And then if it's somebody that I, I'm really surprised would say something like that, say a colleague, then I'd be, I, to be honest, I'd probably say the same thing either way. Would I be more direct? No, but I think that's pretty direct anyway. Like, I, I don't understand how is that a problem. Help me understand that kind of thing so that they can think through what, what they're saying. I think it's fair to give, you know, somebody time to think through what they're actually saying. But anyway, of course, the question, it's based on biased assumptions about this employee's family commitments and assumption and ambition. It could mean she loses a major opportunity that she's qualified for and that your company misses out on her talents. You, know, you could ask your coworker, what makes you think that? Yeah. This may make them realize their comment isn't based on hard evidence. Explain why it happens. So, you know, women are often stereotyped who have children not being career orientated, or especially for young children. You can also recommend asking all the candidates how they feel about the travel requirements and let them speak for themselves. It's actually a really good question, especially if travel is a big part of the role. This comment may be influenced by several stereotypes. For some women, that's women with young families that aren't ambitious in their careers or they prioritise family more than other groups do. And they're more naturally suited to junior roles. All of these preconceptions can keep women out of senior roles they're qualified for. And the interesting thing is I've seen this play out indirectly as in I'm not involved in the decision-making process I've just heard discussions and I've seen women take the same make the same assumptions about other women and would you say that happens because I mean I know that in your industry that you've worked in Tracy there's a, a large component of the role does require travel because of the nature of the work so this must come up or you may have experienced this and seen this a lot well, well this is the thing you're right there's actually a lot of a disproportionate number of women in that particular role. Don't ask me why. I'm not quite sure about the reason behind that. But yeah, there's a lot of travel, like a lot. And it's always a discussion in the interview because it's always a question, like candidates will ask, how much travel is expected? Because different companies have different criteria or like frequency. So yeah. the candidate will always be asking that to know whether or not it's something that they're interested in doing or not. So it's it's not an issue in that sense, is in the candidates already bringing it up. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking, I guess, more senior roles that are considered promotions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether or not the travel is a is an issue should be up to the candidate, man or woman. Yeah, we shouldn't be putting assumptions. But I have heard, you know, women hiring suggest these same biases that. Because they've got a young family, for example, that, you know, they may not want, that maybe we shouldn't consider them. 
I see. And I just think, well, that's up to them. Because at the end of the day, you know, I can understand concerns. People with young children, I mean, people, not just women, you know, children get sick a lot, especially in the younger formative years and going to daycare. They get sick a lot and all the families get sick and then they're off work. There's a lot of that. It just happens. It's just, you know, generally it happens. To, but the men get sick as well, not just the women. Yeah, that's right. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. Humanity. <laughs> yeah. So there's those things. But, you know, a, a company that supports families supports families regardless. So you've got to like account for those things. Because we, everybody's going to have those type of uh, problems to overcome. Yeah. Anyhow, so that's that one. And I think that's, yeah, that's all we've got time for today. Well, it's mm-hmm. good uh, to have another session. And uh, yeah, there's some, uh, some, some great articles there. Yeah, there was. Thanks. Thank you, as always, co-host. Great. We'll look forward to, to chatting with you next time. Yeah, I'll chat with you next time. Right. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you have as much fun with us today as we did. If what you heard resonated with you, don't forget to show the love and like our YouTube channel, All One with Tracy G. Give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform is lucky enough to have this episode because they rock too. Feel free to email us stories or questions at alloneinclusive at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter if updating yourself about everything which goes down sounds like something right up your alley at tracygandu.com. Until the next time, see ya!